So I think what really separates a good client experience from a great client experience is one that is highly relevant to the target audience. So it's focused on who and why first, and then they get into what and how. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Jackie Wilkie from First Trust. Welcome to Bridging the Gap. So excited to have you. How are you doing? How's everything in uh, the Midwest in Chicago? I'm doing great. Thanks, Matt. Things are good. Really excited to be here. Huge fan of the pod. Huge fan of everything that you're doing to help not just your clients, but advisors also. So really looking forward to this conversation. You're too kind. And we didn't pay you to say that. So I really appreciate that. So thank you. It's always good to have fans of the podcast. We've had some amazing guests sharing stuff and you're just another addition in that line. And I'm so excited to have you because this idea of practice management, training, coaching, business consulting is something that I'm really a big believer in. And that's some of the things that we try to provide on this podcast of how do you become a better, more efficient, more valuable advisor? Because the overall mission is how do we serve more families? And and I think that what you're doing and the work you put in is incredible. So I'm stoked to dive into that with you. But before we do, I always am interested in kind of the journey and the way that I like to do that is like, you know, you're working at First Trust now, I think, you know, seven plus years there. You're you're in business consulting and practice management and coaching and training. I'm I'm wondering, what did the 13-year-old Jackie Wilkie want to do? Was it like, you know what, I'm going to go work for First Trust. I'm going to help advisors better their firms. Was that the 13-year-old? And if it wasn't, what did the 13-year-old Jackie Wilkie want to do? Yeah, no, I did not have that kind of foresight when I was 13. First Trust was barely getting going at that point. So when I was 13, it changed daily. It could be anything from I wanted to be a veterinarian. I wanted to be a singer, songwriter, actress. It was always changing, but I always loved kind of the creative side of things. So I was definitely drawn to theater, choir, dance. So I did a lot of that when I was at that age and probably thought I could make it make it big in Hollywood at some point. (laughs) And I see you've got the Rick Rubin book behind you, which is also you shows your creative side, which is an incredible book if you haven't read it. But so walk us through, right? You're going from, you know, venturing into veterinarian or creativity or drama or, you know, musician, whatever it may be on the creative side or art side. And now you're at First Trust. So what does that journey look like from 13 until where you are today with your role in First Trust? Yeah, you know, it's it's been an interesting journey. And I always love to share it to hopefully inspire other people who don't have a traditional background or education in college that would lead to financial services, because I think there's so much room for a lot of different people in this industry. So in college, I studied Spanish and business and really know what I wanted to do. When I graduated, both my parents work in the industry. And this is I've actually been at First Trust for a little over 13 years. I've just fixed my LinkedIn. But when I graduated, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I really loved sales. I loved helping people. So I had the opportunity to interview for the inside sales desk at First Trust, got the job, and the rest is kind of history. About so many years into working on the inside sales desk, wasn't what I what I wanted to do. I really loved the business building practice management side of things. I loved the content. I loved helping advisors with the things that go with working on the business as you work in this business. And at that time, I was very fortunate. The head of our team, Chris Jackson, was expanding the team. So I got the chance to join that team about nine years ago. And the rest is history. I love it. I love this side of working with advisors on the things 
that come with helping them be successful and giving them the time back to do what they want to do and sharing what's working for others. I, I love that journey. And I, I think that that is inspiration for people to say that they think financial services and they have to have all this knowledge and you know education on it, but you can come from multiple different backgrounds and, and you can add value. And that unique perspective actually betters our industry. I think it makes us more unique. It provides different perspectives so we don't get kind of so narrow-minded or monolithic in our focus. And you know, I, I also think about this is one of these those avenues that people, especially in the industry, forget about with our kind of partners, right? You think about first trust, you think about kind of the investment solutions. You don't think about business consulting and and the value that that can provide. You think about Invesco, which is here in our backyard, and it's like they have the same ideas as well. Not not talking about competitors, but people think about it as a, an investment firm. But y'all have so much more other services, and so I'm hoping maybe you can provide some perspective of what is business consulting in the eyes of First Trust? And what is it that you are trying to help your your clients do? And how do people get more access to it? And then I want to dive into some of the actual tactical topics that you talk about. But I think it's so necessary for people to realize that their partners have such value beyond the core value that you perceive them to have, which is so great in our industry. Yeah. So our big focus at First Trust is the financial professional. Of course, the firms that support them, the enterprises that go along with the financial professional, but we're all in on you and the others like you, those who are truly dedicated to serving their clients. So that's what we pour our resources into. And there's some other firms that also do the same thing. So me and I'm on a team of four, five other individuals, six of us total, and we're all in-house. So those who are partnering with First Trust, those who are exploring other resources that we provide, that's a big part of it. So in addition to the thought leadership on the market, the economy, the economy, the investment solutions and our incredible PMs, we're kind of a third leg of the stool at the firm in helping the advisors with the other things, the other things that come with working on the business as you work in this business. So our team, I have to give a shout out to them. They're absolutely incredible. We have true experts in different areas. So we're all specialized. And a lot of what I focus on is helping professionals with women investors, multi-generational families, and the next gen, not just the next gen investor, but the next gen of value of communication, client experience, where are we going to go? And how do we navigate getting there? You mentioned something right there. And I think that that listeners that don't know about the partners, other capabilities outside of the core competency that we see them as need to explore that because that's, I think, where there's so much value and leverage that can be had as a growing firm and as a, because of the insights that they provide, right? You don't need to go get a McKinsey. You can use your partners that you have with valuable resources. I think that's so important. But you also mentioned something there kind of of what you're talking about of client experience. You mentioned the word client experience. I want to dive into that for a second because I think that's such a, I mean, it's integral, right? It's it's the way that our client feels. And I think that there's this perception of how it's supposed to be. But I'm curious because you've interacted with so many firms of on the client experience side, from your perspective, what separates good firms client experience from like awe-inspiring, memorable client experiences? Because I think we let compliance get in the way. We let, you know, we're dealing with money and finances get in the way. But I think that there's an opportunity and some firms are doing a really great job of it, of thinking about the client experience in a different way. So from your perspective, what have you seen separate good from amazing, memorable? So I like to use Taylor Swift as an example of an amazing experience. So I went to her concert this summer 
big fan of her. I wouldn't label myself a Swifty, but went to her concert this summer. And if you look at everything, you know, the concert's just one part of her experience. And she is very clear that she is not all things to all people. So she has created this raving fan base, delivers a consistently incredible experience to that fan base that not only keeps them incredibly loyal, but they can't help but tell other people about her. And she's not all things to all people. So I think what really separates a good client experience from a great client experience is one that is highly relevant to the target audience. So it's focused on who and why first, and then they get into what and how. I think foundationally, that's what separates good from great, is that this client experience is personalized, it's customized, it's never out of sight, out of mind. It doesn't just touch on the investment side of things, it touches on all the pieces of the puzzle. It's got as much surprise and delight in there as it does, we're going to give you clarity and certainty through financial planning. I dive a little bit more into the concept of of why and when versus what and how. Dive a little bit more into what that means and how you how you see that, and and maybe some you know actionable tactical ways that firms can implement something of that nature. Because I think that there's a lot of gold there in that statement. Yeah. So it's who and why powered by what and how is the formula that we use in our coaching, whether we're talking about segmentation, we're talking about centers of influence, we're talking about client experience. So who and why comes first? We are in the attention economy. Everyone is vying for our time and attention. You and me, the audience is going to listen to this, our clients, our prospects. So if you want to get someone's time and attention, the more relevant it can be to them, the more likely you are to accomplish that. I love the the Theodore Roosevelt quote that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So that's why we always start with who and why. And it could be who is the person that we want to engage? Is it our top client? Is it their next generation? Is it business owners? Why would they give us their time and attention? Okay, we're going to talk about education. Or for that next generation of our clients, we're going to help them with financial literacy and some behavioral finance coaching. Okay, so for our top clients, this is one story from from a professional recently told me, his clients recently celebrated their 35th wedding anniversary. So they invited the clients to the office for champagne and cupcakes to celebrate their client's wedding anniversary. And you would have thought that they bought them a new car. Like, so it's it, there's different layers to how we're we're scaling it. But starting with the who and the why first, then getting into the what and how. Because if it's who and why first, let's say you do want to talk about a new technology, a new product, a new resource that you have internally, if you position it as why this matters for your clients, for your prospects, for your team, it's going to be felt as an up service, not an upsell. Nobody wants to be sold to. People want to be serviced and Mm -hmm. feel like they're a part of something that's designed for them. Yeah, and it does, and it not only, and, and I apologize, I got the why and when instead of why and who is. It's a matter of being intentional on who you're serving and, and and understanding not only why why they need your help or who you are. Also, it's a matter of what is your why and what are you trying to provide. You know, the the question though gets to, and I, I think about as I'm listening to that of like the the how and the what. 
it's it's like that seems like a lot like the cupcakes and the champagne like there is there's thought that goes into that and i think that advisors just react to those things like oh it'd be cool but there's there's got to be a formula not a formula necessarily but a way to processize and organize so that you can execute on and and provide those types of moments and I think that it probably surrounds the CRM and, and there's probably not enough uh, utilization or depth of utilization with that. But how do you see that firms are able to be like really good at that and not just be reactionary be like, oh, let's just do this on the whim, but like be really intentional and consistent? Because I think consistency is also a key of this. If you just do it once and then forget about it ever again, it's like you woo them for a year, but then they, they're like, well, where was this again? They forgot about this. So what are your thoughts on that side and how people can in- implement that? Yeah. So that's a great question because we only have 24 hours in a day. It feels like we don't even have that 24 hours and nobody wants to work 24 hours a day. So with the client experience, ways that people are building and scale, a big part of it is pre-planning. So I like to think of there's three engagement paths. All we do, all we say can be broken into a one-to-one, a one-to-some, or a one-to-many. So with your, like, let's say you're planning for 2024 and you're thinking about your content, what you want to be talking about when certain campaigns you're going to be doing, maybe some surge meetings. So who is that going to be for? That's probably going to be more of your one to some. So smaller groups, audiences who have something in common, like business owners, retirement income planning, that's your more one to some people have something in common. So you can plan for that in next year? Who do we want to engage from more of a niche standpoint? What's the content that's going to be relevant for them? Your one-to-ones are team efforts. So we have a team that anytime clients are either coming in for a meeting or it's virtual, someone is on there with them ahead of the meeting starting, or they're in the room with them ahead of the meeting starting, and they are just there to collect the data. How are the kids? How was your trip to Italy? What are you looking forward to this year? How's everything going with your parents? They are just there to chit chat, but it's not chit chat. It's intentional, right? It's reminding our clients how well we know them, which is a huge experience in itself because people want to feel the love. They want to feel seen and heard, but that data, like you said, they're now bringing that back. So whoever then goes in and runs the meeting, they're at the computer putting into CRM. So everyone on, the, everyone on the team has access to that data. And some teams have even started to allocate a surprise and delight budget. So let's say someone's talking to a client and it's a one-off and they say, yeah, we're taking the grandkids to Disney for the first time. Whoever hears that, they can go into the surprise and delight budget. And maybe they send a couple plush Mickey and Minnie toys to the grandkids ahead of that trip they're empowered to do that. So it's a team effort is how we get that scale. The other side of it, I would say is, and I think I'm going to kind of going on tangents here, but the other side I would say is they're leveraging and outsourcing outsourcing as much as they can to get more efficient. So whether that is technology, leveraging other partners, other resources, they're doing everything they can to get more time back for those human-to-human relationship-developing experiences. You know, I, I don't think that you're going at a tangent at all. I think that that's such quality insight because it, it reminds me of like the Ritz-Carlton way. And, and like, it's just that you're training people on 
intentional chit chat and in in hearing to find opportunity to do something without being told to do it and and i think that there's there's a skill in that that i don't know if enough firms are providing given that we're a service based firm we look at rich carlton and we laugh because it's like well you know they're a hotel and they should do that but we're in a service based business we should be doing that as well we should be hearing about their pain points and trying to think about how we can solve those with some surprise and delight i i, I love that mentality I don't want to go down too much of a rabbit hole here, but I, I want to just for a second and then I'll get us out of it is when it comes to, I love the idea of like sending someone in and have that intentional chit chat and then the advisor comes in and it just doesn't feel like you're doing like a survey, but then you put it in the CRM. I, I think that the challenge I've always experienced with the CRM and I've, I've seen other firms is, is that like it becomes overwhelming. Like how do you organize this type of information? And I'm curious as y'all have gone in and helped on the consulting side, you don't have to give specifics, but broadly speaking, like how do we think about organizing all of this data in our CRM to make it easily accessible and actionable for us and all of our team members? So it's not just reliant on one individual from that standpoint. How do we empower more of the team to take action on that and access that data? So I can't speak to the CRM so much that's outside of our wheelhouse, the specific technologies that folks are using, but what other teams are doing on the other side to encourage, empower, and kind of set the expectation that this is important in how we serve our clients is they set meetings. Some teams will have a business development challenge once a month or once a quarter. So they'll sit down as a team and they'll say, okay, what do we want to work on? Everyone gets assigned roles and responsibilities. They've bought in, they're taking ownership, there's open communication. So sometimes they'll make it fun, like little challenges throughout the year. Others will have very structured processes for we have a marketing meeting once a week. Once a month, we talk about client experiences. What do we have coming up? What events? What education? Who's brought up something in conversation that we need to do something about? That's more of your one-on-one, highly personalized, highly customized. So I'm not much a help on the CRM side of things, but for other processes, setting things internally as an individual, as a team, that gives the time that you need dedicated when you have so much else going on. So carving out the time. I I mean, I think that that's actually, that provides some really great insight in my mind because it's like, well, there needs to be a dedicated meeting to what opportunities for us to surprise and delight are there coming up, right? We can't just expect it just to kind of happen, right? If you want to make it intentional and be proactive, you have to put process around. And I love that idea of doing like a quarterly meeting or a monthly meeting of like, hey, Here's all the people that we had meetings on, anything that's coming up this month that we can do. What would we do? How do we brainstorm and ideate and be creative on doing something interesting for them and not just putting it on one person's shoulders like the CSA or the CSM? And maybe they put a task in the CRM to help remind them, but you know, get creative and bring multiple perspectives. And and I think it, like if you can you know, invigorate the team and have fun about it, it's going to show to the client and it's just going to create more raving fans and it's going to help your referral numbers. So I, I think that there is something really valuable in that. I, I want to transition a little bit to to communication and and really communication with kind of this generation that's been growing up in technology. I have, I've had a few people on the podcast from like Gen Z and, you know, I'm also very tech, oriented. And and this is a generation that comes from, and they're inundated with content all of the time, right? It's so easy to capture content. They're such easy to get conflicting content as well on different, on even the same topic. It's confusing. There's a lot, it's, it's noisy. So I'm curious, 
how firms can connect and communicate in this environment effectively. Like, what are some of the the key points to to build a strategy around to be better at that? That some of the great firms are doing, or maybe some firms aren't taking advantage of that they could. So, when you're trying to connect with these younger generations who have more options than ever before on their phone, they can get access to the market. That's why nobody's going around calling themselves a stockbroker anymore because. There's no value in that. I can do that on my own. So when they have so many options, part of it's going to be not telling them what to do. With these younger generations, they want guidance. They don't want to be told what to do. That's that's something that can definitely create a challenge when you're trying to connect with multi-generational families is if the kids feel like, I do know about this stuff. I've tried investing. I'm curious or I read a lot. Don't tell me what to do. They want to be involved in it. So giving them the power to take ownership, guiding them, helping them poke holes in what they think they know through education, going personal with surprise and delight with certain events, that's a great way to break through. And again, you're not trying to engage with everyone in a generation. So the more specific you can go, whether it's in in your content and your client experience and resources that you're developing, the more that you can help them identify whether or not this content's relevant for them, the more likely they are to buy in, right? If someone's talking about retirement income planning, I personally, not on my mind, I'm not going to tune in. But if it is something about caring for aging parents, or should you start a 529 plan for your child, it's more around the life events that are relevant for them. So you're more likely to get their attention. And the, the structure that I use and that we coach a lot of advisors on is the four C's. So your content's the foundation. Who is it relevant for? Why would they pay attention? Then we pick our channels. So is our channel going to be a webinar? Is it going to be LinkedIn? Is it going to be an email newsletter? What's the channel? I always joke that you're not going to have a lot of success with the yellow pages anymore. So you have to think about what channels are actually relevant. Where are they tuned into? And a lot of times our channels are layered. So you you host a webinar first, that gets recorded, then that lives on your website. You put snippets on LinkedIn, you share it with your existing clients. Hey, if you know anyone who might benefit from this education, we just had this fantastic webinar. Here's a replay. Feel free to forward it. Those channels are important. And that's the third C of curating. So if you want to reach the next generation, a great way to get to them is through your existing clients, whether your existing clients are next gen themselves or they're the next generation of some of your older clients, curating those relationships. So encouraging clients to share you, share your resources with those people that they know. So one of the things I talk about a lot is offering a 20-minute ask anything session. So we have an email template for anyone that's interested. We have an email template at First Trust that you would send to clients saying, hey, a lot of you have been asking if we're available to talk to friends and family. People feel like there's volatility, there's uncertainty. They don't know what they don't know. They just have questions. They want a sounding board, second opinion. We are available. We're doing these 20-minute ask anything session sessions. Here's some things we might talk about, like meaningful outcomes, strategic planning, financial confidence, portfolio management. If anybody wants to set something up, here's exactly who you reach out to. So we curate our reach through those people that are already our raving fans to 
get in front of the people that they know. And then finally, like you said, consistency is a four C. Consistency is what breeds trust. If you offer to be a resource for them now, and you continue to be a resource for them over time before that next generation either experiences their own wealth event because they're building wealth or they receive an inheritance, they trust that you truly care about them. Mm. You're not just reaching out to them after a liquidity event saying, hey, we care about you now. Now that you have the money, we'd love to talk now. So those are the frameworks that we use is the content channels curate consistency. And with that, you should be able to break through a lot simpler. Simple is not always easy, but simpler than if you just try to go out there and start engaging the next generation. You know, there's there's a lot there. And I think that I love the idea of not telling them what to do, which is a little bit different than the the new generation, right? And I think that that's kind of because they've grown up in this a little bit of an entitled, and I think the generations would say that. they We've been a little bit more entitled than past generations. And so we want to have a say. We've had a say somewhat in our lives at points. And we have now these outlets that we can have a say. So that like, it doesn't make it wrong. It's just, you either got to, you either have to adapt to it or you're going to get passed by because of it. And and you just have to be open-minded and eyes wide open. You know, the, the idea of content generation is something that I think scares a lot of people because they're like, I'm not creative. I don't know where to start. Well, now you have a lot of tools with AI, but it's also, you don't have to create new content for every channel, right? It's like the omni-channel idea is like create a blog turn that blog into a social post, turn that into a podcast, turn that into a webinar. And you now are using the same content again. So you have now five pieces of content. And the other thing is, is that I love that ask anything, the 20 minutes. It's like what they now have all the cool kids and the cool thought leaders are doing the AMAs, like the ask me anything's like, that's a really cool way. You can do it on different channels. You could do it on LinkedIn. You could do it on a webinar. You could do it in a, in a Twitter thread or whatever you want, but then you can use those questions to drive your content. So you, you just have to be thoughtful in how you utilize all these different things to create multiple pieces of content. And I want to go back to something that you touched on, Matt, because I think you do a great job on this yourself, is a great source of content is you. As a financial professional, the most unique thing about your business is you, the human capital. You know, the, the tools in the toolbox are becoming democratized and commoditized in their own right. So sharing your why story, giving people insight into what your client experience looks like. We had a team recently, they posted a photo because on, on LinkedIn, they hosted a client event. They rented out the movie theater for the Barbie movie and they invited clients. They wanted to bring a guest they could. And so they posted the, the picture on LinkedIn and one of their clients' connections, because their client liked and commented on the post on LinkedIn, one of that client's connections saw that activity, reached out to their friends and said, hey, I don't remember the last time I've heard from my financial professional. That looks like that was an awesome event. Is there any chance you could put me in touch with your advisors? Mm-hmm. So a great way, a great source of content is just building in public. Your why story, what your client experience looks like for people to see. It, and it gets back to authenticity. But it, you know, I think that the challenge that we all have with authenticity is that we get to the one point that you made earlier is that we try to be everything to all people, all things to all people. And if you're if your authentic self, you're going to create and you're going to attract the people that resonate. And that's the beauty of this industry is that there's so many opportunities that we all, our tools are all very similar. The reason that there are so many advisors is because 
there are no two individuals that are alike. And that's the beauty of it. And so being authentic in your content and embracing that and not trying to be who you think the the clients want you to be is really, really important. And I, I want to use this kind of conversation as like a jumping point to really kind of the concept of bridging the gap between the current gen and the next gen. And you know, I, I think that this is a tough topic because you think about like a, a firm similar to ours, right? We are, you know, retirement income oriented shop and trying to bridge the gap to the next gen is difficult because we always talk about value investing and the next gen is younger and they need more growth investing. And so you can't have the same conversation. You have to be nimble on your feet. What are some ways that you're seeing firms be really good at kind of bridging this gap to the next gen? And is it something... Well, let's start there. And then I have another follow-on question to that. So I believe that there are two next gens in our industry. So you have your clients next gen, which your clients that are 70, 80, 90, that next generation is much older. They are your ideal client if you are focused on retirement planning. So making sure that first you fortified with those older clients. So I'm going to talk about how in a second, but that next gen is very important because you're at risk in your own business that if wealth is transferred, and again, the first time you reach out is when they're later in life, they're going to feel like, all right, you've had 30 years to reach out to me. Now you're reaching out just because I'm in, I'm the decision maker. And that happens sometimes with women too. If one spouse passes away before her, she's in charge. That's when she gets contacted. That's like consistent communication. So, so, so important. Um, And then you have those younger generations. So wherever you're at with existing clients, older kids, or you're getting down to those 30, 40-year-old, even younger, uh, again, content's a great way to bridge that. And there's a team that has done a great job with this. So we were talking about content. Let's say you're going to host a webinar on what to do if you're getting married or like we have a team in Chicago, every May they host Adulting 101. It's a webinar just for college grads. So when they share this kind of content, they'll email their existing clients and say, as you know, we work with clients from all walks of life. We do have a particular expertise in retirement income planning or retirement planning, just for example, retirement planning, but we also serve the multi-generational family. We have an upcoming webinar. It's focused on those who are graduating college, moving into the real world. We're sharing the invitation with you, our valued clients. Should it be someone that's in your family or someone that you know, we welcome anyone and everyone to participate. And I love that language where you're not going to alienate your existing client base saying, we're pivoting. We no longer do this thing that we've been really, really specialized in or really, really good at for a long time. And you're able to expand people's perception of who they might be sending your way whether it is within their existing family or it's other folks that they know. Um, the other tool or resource that we have is called the family phone call. It's the number one process that I do coaching on and it's very comprehensive. We have a video scripts, checklist timelines. We're trying to make it as simple as possible, but this was designed by a team in California years ago. And what they realized is, okay, we need to get to know who's most important to our clients. And they use that language whoever's most important to you. It could be the family that their clients chose. It could be the family that's blood related, or it could be a mix of both. Whoever's most important to them, 
the family phone call is simply for us to introduce ourselves. Let them know who we are, what we do. So teams involved, clients are involved, whoever's most important to them. Thanks to Zoom and WebEx, it's much easier to facilitate this. And then they leave them with a resource. Either we'll do a financial plan for those who are interested, a 20-minute Ask Anything session on demand, access to our newsletter and all of our events, whatever the hook is. But it's been incredibly powerful because that call itself is 10 minutes. It's not a two-hour family meeting right off the bat. It's just to get over, like you said, bridge, so that those people most important to your clients know if they ever needed anything, they can come to you. It's confidential. It's complimentary. Everyone has those clients that they don't want the kids to know how much money they have. That's completely firewalled. We're never going to talk about that unless you ask us to. But we're just positioning this resource, which adds value to the clients because now their loved ones will most likely go to the experts rather than the internet or their friends who don't know anything. So I think those simple ways with that language of, as you know, we work with the clients from all walks of life, deliver something relevant to that audience that you want people to send your way, but also the family phone call has been incredibly powerful in bridging that generational gap within families. I love the family phone call. I think that that's just like, keep it short and sweet and just tell them a little bit about you. Be vulnerable on your story and let them find a connection point that they can hinge on, whether it's you know, the same ages of kids or school or background or let them see that you're human and you're not just on a sales pitch. I think that that's phenomenal. That's such an easy, easy win. Speaking of next gen, I, I'm just curious on the perspective, and this is kind of maybe come off as like, Matt, you're off the wall. But you know, we think about this generational shift in wealth, and everybody talks about this massive amount of money shifting from the current generation to the next generation, and that the need to focus on the next generation. But in reality, the next generation, right? If you think about kind of an, an heiress or someone that has the money today that passes away and passes it on to three heirs, if they have three million dollars, they're going to pass a million dollars on to each heir. Now a firm goes from serving one individual with $3 million and understanding their needs to now having to serve three individuals for the same fee. So you're now having to increase the number of people you serve for the same fee, which then begs the question, is it the best use of time for advisors to focus on the shift of the next generation of their current clients? Or is it better to focus on going and getting the next generation of the clients that are somewhere else so that when they do inherit the money that you then can get that money or just go and grow in a different way? I'm just curious about this because it means that you better be really efficient to serve the same amount of revenue. And is that the best utilization of their time? I love this discussion. I think that's a great question because you're asking the question that a lot of other people are probably thinking to themselves, but don't want to ask because you should connect with the next gen. So couple layers to it. Yeah, if you go and work with younger generations now who will probably have inheritance down the road, you've locked them in. So you will have a wealth transfer coming. But how much it is, that's CBD, unless they're really open and share that information. But when it comes to that existing client, let's say they have the three kids, why the family phone call has also been so effective is because it gives financial professionals a look under the hood. Mm. Who is in that family tree? Where are they at? Because not everyone in that family tree is going to be a good fit, not just from an efficiency standpoint, but also from a personality standpoint. I'll never forget, I had a team in Texas. They called one of their family phone calls the longest 10 minutes of their life. They were on a call with one of their clients, his daughter and her husband, so daughter, son-in-law. And the whole time, the son-in-law is asking them, well, what are your fees? 
what was your performance? Here's what I got out of my portfolio. Why would I work with you when I can do this on my own? The team in Texas was like, holy cow, this is really great data for us because if something happens to this client, wealth is transferred, that daughter and son-in-law are not going to be a fit for us. So like you said, they can be okay with that asset attrition happening. It wasn't a risk because they planned for it and they can grow 10X over here. And I think part of it is just sometimes taking it case by case. If that $3 million client passes on that million dollar to those kids, what do we know about those kids? Are they building wealth on their own? Is there maybe a a wealth transfer happening for an in-law that's coming their way? So it's hard to say. Every business is equipped differently. Those next three kids might be great clients for your next-gen financial professional. So it might be a great relationship for them to own. So there's a lot of ways that you can go about it, but it really depends on the financial professional and how their business is structured. But I always like to emphasize, don't be afraid to say no to your clients, family members. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's just like, it feels like it's dirty to to say no, but it just may not, as I dug into this, everybody talks about the amount of wealth, but the number of people needing to be served is going to become exponential. And and that becomes that can cause strain and also is why you need business consultants like yourself to help you become more efficient and more focused on on who you are. And you may not they may not be the right client. I love the idea that that Texas firm of like, okay, I hear the clients, like I know that they're gonna leave. Like we got them for about, you know, 10 more years. And like the business planning that could be done with that is incredible. It's like, all right, I need to go grow this much so that I can ensure that we we offset this and, and show growth on that side. I want to do one last question for you before we get into the wrap-up questions. I mean, we could talk for hours. I think this has been super intriguing and I, I love your insight. Is You you did a LinkedIn post and I, I'm looking at it here. It was a really, I mean, all your LinkedIn posts are great. and I, you know, But this one was all about the modern advisor, the modern philosophy and the idea that what clients want is not what you think that they used to want. And it's not what the clients used to want. And it's more, it's more about inclusion. It's more about partnership. It's more about, you know, training, coaching, not being the stockbroker, like you said, and that makes tons of sense. And a lot of people are starting to talk about this more modern advisor approach idea. I'm curious, what does that mean to you the modern advisor approach? And then then how can advisors lean into that more effectively? Again, it's a balance because your current clients don't want that. Your newer clients may want that because you have this segmentation of 70-year-olds and 50-year-olds and they're different people and you've got to be agile and flexible enough. So how do advisors lean into that kind of structure and what is the modern approach in your mind? In my mind, the modern approach is more human-centric. But powered by technology and digital. So it was so interesting. I was I was talking to a young woman. She's a senior at University of Arizona, which I know kind of rivals there from ASU. Here on yeah, the ladder. Robin, throw that in there. I mean, unbelievable. All right, we're going to cut this one short. <laughs> Not I'm trying just... to start anything. <laughs> Not trying to start anything. So she's a senior there. And she's just asking about my journey in the industry and she's doing some informational interviews, trying to figure out what she might want to do after graduation. And she asked me, she said, do you think human advisors will continue to exist? Because she's wondering, do I go into this industry that might become irrelevant? And I said, more than ever, not all human advisors will continue to exist, but those that lean into the human centric side of it will absolutely 
there's so many folks who are way more qualified than I am. And I know some have been on your show that talk about financial therapy, behavioral finance, not just goals, but values, finding out your clients why, asking questions and asking three more follow-up questions. So those that really lean into the human-centric side of things, they have a great client experience. It's personalized. It's customized. They're never out of sight, out of mind. And the way we do that is powered by technology, efficiency, structures, outsourcing. To me, that's the modern financial professional. And it's interesting because LD actually did a study kind of speaking to what you were speaking to. They found that 85% of investors in Gen Y and Gen Z that they interviewed want slash hope to have behavioral coaching. So Mm -hmm. the modern finance professional in their eyes is not just someone giving advice, but it's a coach, a confidant, a guide, someone that's going to be their first phone call so that they're all things to those people. Such a different approach and a mentality that's going to make people, especially those in the industry today, a little bit uncomfortable. But I think it is the like the life coach therapy type mentality that is at you know money's at the core of all of this. And you know, I talked to Reese Harper about this before Red Elements, and it's like you know self actualization. People need you know you're at the core of that, and you need to be helpful. And if you're only focused on one side, you know, if you think money, mind, and happiness, and at the center is where we are. If you're only focused on money, you're missing out on mind and happiness, two-thirds of the equation. And the one equation that you're out you're looking at is out of your control. Mind and happiness is more controllable than money. And if you want to bridge it all together and show your unique value, you got to find that center of those three circles. And I think it's just a super interesting approach. I think you are you're definitely ahead of it. And I, I'm glad that you're talking to advisors at the on the platform that you have at First Trust. Jackie, I mean, we could continue this conversation forever. It's super interesting. I, I love what you're doing. I'm inspired by what you're doing. And so I want to wrap this up with my two questions. I, you know, I always, I'm a constant learner, lifelong learner. I love to learn through reading uh, and learn from others that are much smarter than me, like yourself. And, you know, I'm always curious, what's one of those books out there that you think that everybody should read or reread if they have already read it? So actually I have two. I'll we'll take them. The first one's a newer book that I read. It's called A Well-Lived Life by Dr. Gladys McGarry. She is a 102 years old doctor, still living. And it's her six rules for a well-lived life. It's great for mindset. I think it's great to incorporate into your client experience and the planning conversations. The other one is Blue Ocean Strategy. I don't know if you've read it, but one of the things that I love about financial professionals that we work with is that they don't see other financial professionals competition. They're in competition with themselves. How can we be the best that we can be? And the whole premise behind Blue Ocean Strategy is not trying to compete with others. It's to create your own blue ocean. So I think it's a great business development book for anyone that's thinking about how do we pivot? How do we shift with making sure that it's authentic and true to what you want to build and what you're going to actually enjoy doing? I love those. I love those. Blue Ocean's up there. I haven't read it yet, but I need to. The last question I want to ask, we talked about a lot. There's so much gold in this podcast. But you know, if you think about what you hope or what you can think of as one actionable piece of advice that you hope that advisors can maybe take away from our conversation or that they can implement tomorrow in their day-to-day or in their firm, what would that one piece of actionable advice be that you think you could give them? My advice is stay curious. That's something that I try to live by. It's Stay curious. Don't ever think that you've 
got it all figured out because the next thing you know, there's a new generation or something else comes up or something's disrupted. So I think staying curious goes a long way, not just curious with your business, but curious with your clients, asking more questions, asking better questions, curious with your team and curious with the beliefs that you hold, because there's always some new information that might change what we think or what we believe. So stay curious. That I would say is my number one. Stay curious and be open-minded. Don't be grained to what you know. And I love that advice. So Jackie, you know, you've got a wealth of knowledge. You've got such a great perspective. And I know that many people are going to want to continue to follow you. So what's the best way for people to follow you and get in touch with you and stay in touch with you and continue to follow you on your journey? Yeah, so very active on LinkedIn. I also write a blog for First Trust called Insights Innovation. Quick ideas from the the real work that we see coming from the financial professionals we work with. If you want to get that, just reach out to your First Trust wholesaler. And for anything else First Trust related, related to my resources that I mentioned today, or if you want to explore more from our advisor consulting group internally, your wholesalers, our website, those are the best places to start. So if you don't know your wholesaler, DM me on LinkedIn, happy to connect to you. But we're just trying to put out great ideas and serve the advisor. Jump on that if you can, because it's a resource for valuable, so valuable. Jackie, thank you for spending some time with us here today. Really appreciate this conversation and looking forward to staying in touch and continuing to help with all y'all are doing in the industry. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 